Alright, I have my little tiny microphone right now because the movers are about to come and take all of my stuff that I left in storage in Boston and bring it back here and oh my god, I've just been so irritable because... This is going to be one of the hardest things that I'm going to have to do. And I'm going to confront a lot of old feelings, a lot of difficult feelings. And I'm not ready to think about them. And I also hoped that by this time I would have my own place and I don't so that really sucks because I have already been struggling with feeling trapped I record every episode of this podcast in my childhood bedroom, which has been a really cathartic experience, and it's not necessarily something that I'm happy about. Moving back in with my parents was definitely the right decision for me to make, but it was a really hard decision, and recently, all of my stuff from Boston just came back to my childhood home. And that has been just a roller coaster of emotions that I have been facing. I know that it is super corny to start anything with a dictionary definition. It's like an essay in middle school and you start it and you think it's really deep only to look back and see that it is totally cliche. So instead, I'm going to propose a completely new word. Unmoving. Spelling. U-N-M-O-V-I-N-G. Verb. Definition. The process of going from living on your own to moving back in with your parents. Because I finally finished on moving, almost a year after I moved from D.C. to Boston. I am blessed and cursed with a near photographic memory. I know things like my old job started on Halloween. I joked about it being a bad omen, but maybe I should have been more superstitious. Because looking back, that must have been a sign, right? That something was off, that I hadn't found my people, my city, or my job. I knew on October 10th, 2023, as a van from Massachusetts pulled into the driveway of my parents' home in suburban Virginia, that this time last year, 
I was cramming all of my clothes into boxes, sorting through my furniture, and hosting one final party where I gave away various items of clothing, candles, and kitchenware to my friends. It was the first time I had moved anywhere that required my parents to rent a U-Haul van they drove for hours and hours. Months later, my mom and I would be packing a different van, this time with the intent of pushing it away into storage for it to be excavated at another time. One of the few reasons I was able to stomach this process of unmoving was because of the amazing companionship of probably one of the few people from my time living in Boston that I am still besties with, my friend Raylin Snodgrass. When one of our mutual friends found out we were both moving to Boston at the same time, she set us up on a little friendship date, and it was probably the best first date I've ever had in my life. When we met, we were instantly on the same plane. Conversation flowed so naturally between us. We had the same music taste, sense of humor, and cultural references. One of the happiest nights I spent there was actually the night before I was officially about to drive away from my dinky but lovable Boston group house for good. Raylan and I somehow ended up at this normie karaoke bar and gave drunken, heartfelt, and terrible renditions of Dreams by Fleetwood Mac and One Way or Another by Blondie to a bunch of strangers, including these two older fellows clad in leather biker gear. One of them was there to perform, and he took to the stage to sing Purple Rain, and he was so dead serious about it. But one of the college students that was there came up and hijacked his performance. And I actually have some audio footage, but videos from that night will be posted on my Instagram for the podcast at Failing Down the Rabbit Hole. I sat down with Ray Lynn to learn more about her experience living truly on her own for the first time and also catching up on both of our journeys back home. All right, <laughs> Ray Lynn, I'm going to start off by just asking you to tell me where you're from and how the fuck you ended up in Boston. Boston, 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 Boston. Boston, Boston, Boston. Oh my God. Literally. But I started off in Cincinnati. I was born and raised in the Midwest. Go Midwest, babies. Um, and yeah, I went to private Catholic school, which was interesting. We wore kilts. We had nuns. We did the whole shebang. And then I went to college in Michigan, where I studied political science, which was an interesting choice. Um, if you're not into making money, it's definitely the route to go. But yeah, and then right after college, I got a job in Boston with insert company name as an administrative assistant. And basically what I do is I run people's calendars and I plan events and I love it. So, but yeah, that's how I ended up in Boston. And the role I accepted there for... in insert company was not as idyllic as my current role for insert company. What was your job in Boston like without giving away too many details, obviously, about your company? 
but what was like your day-to-day life like? How did work make you feel? How did, yeah, how did you socialize? How did I socialize? That's a funny one because really I didn't. I was kind of going through a little depressive episode for the entire time I was in Boston, which was amazing timing, especially when I moved there October, right as the winter was getting ready to settle in. But my job, it was fine at first because I started remotely and I loved it. I love remote working. I love, I still have Mondays and Fridays remote and it's my favorite way to get things done. I feel like I'm the most productive that way. And everything seemed pretty perfect until I kind of got to know the people on my team more. So I worked with a bunch of engineers. And the thing about engineers is that they're not very emotional people. So trying to make connections in that space was a challenge, to say the least. And I kind of felt like they also just didn't really respect my position as the one that was going to be helping them and getting things done for them. So that was a little frustrating. And then I guess the biggest thing was my relationship with my boss. I don't even know how to describe it, but we just didn't click. Like, you know, when you meet someone and you're like trying really hard to like get to know them and it could be even be someone you've known for years and you just can't like click on that level where you're just completely comfortable with them and I feel like not everybody's looking for that with a boss but I am and so I got really sad and lonely and I kind of assumed my only way to make connections was through work so that's pretty much all I put my energy into I would go into work and it would be pitch black and dark And then I'd leave work, it'd be pitch black and dark, because we love Boston for that. Oh my god, the weather was awful. Yeah. And you were in Michigan, and Boston is worse. I was in Michigan. Yeah. It is worse. worse. I wasn't expecting that at all. Because I guess, like in my brain, I'm like, we're on the coast, we should have beach weather. No, no, you silly goose. It's a miserable lake effect. I don't know. But basically, I put no effort into making friends and a lot of effort into drinking, which was, you know, kind of my vice of choice at the time. I would go to work, it'd be dark, come home, it'd be dark, and then I'd start drinking. And then I'd be like, what's not clicking here? What's what's not good? And it turns out it was everything I was doing was contributing to my failure, which I feel like is the theme of this podcast. But yeah, like I really had it out for myself. That's something I've been trying to like work on and think about too, which is that like I literally just will be so mean to myself whenever I'm in a time of pain and I just do things that, yeah, yeah, to just to honestly make it sting even more sometimes. And I know alcohol is a depressant and it makes me depressed Yeah. when I drink. I will come home. I had a wine and cheese night and I had way too much wine and I came home and I just was bawling my eyes out and people don't realize just how yeah. alcohol will do that to you. So you ended up 
struggling with that. When did you realize it was an issue for you? And what do you think was the root cause behind it? I realized alcohol was a problem for me when I was drinking every day. I was drinking by myself. And when I would on occasion go out with people that I had met through social media or I guess like through friends, I joined this thing. Um, it was like a dinner club almost, but we usually just ended up going out and drinking. But I would drink like four tall boys before I would go out drinking just to like get my anxiety down. I was also going through a period of time where as much as I was drinking, my face was getting literally like fatter. Yeah, that happens. And I got these headshots done for work that they did free. And I was so excited to have my picture taken because I don't really get professional pictures taken or like ask people to take pictures of me. And this man took my picture. Never have I seen myself looking so busted in my life. I was one hungover in that picture. Two, my cheeks were just like swollen. Three, I had this disgusting bowl cut when I moved to Boston for whatever reason. I don't even know why I cut my hair, but I did. It, it was an impulse and I followed it and I failed. And I looked at this picture and I, I swear that picture and another picture of me passed out on the sidewalk are like, I go back to those when I feel like drinking again. And I'm like, I'm never going back there to Miss Puffy Cheeks. So drinking became a problem for me when I started to kind of self-medicate my anxiety and my depression with a depressant, which is very unwise. And it all kind of culminated when I did try to hurt myself. Content warning, like I'm not going to go into detail about it, but it was really scary and I was drunk when I did it and it was awful. And I woke up the next morning and I called my parents and I was like, hey, so... I woke up, which I wasn't planning on doing today. So I think I'm going to go check myself into a mental hospital, like literally how the conversation went. And they were kind of like, well, why don't you just try to sleep it off, like do a face mask, come home if you need to. And that was kind of like my make it or break it moment of like, no, I'm going to do this for myself. I really need help right now. I put myself in a really dangerous position last night, and I don't ever want to do that again. So when that happened, what did you do about your obligations like work? Yeah. So luckily, company I worked for at the time, and still do, I don't know why I said that, they're amazing about, one, not asking questions when it's something medical, and two, just providing all of the support you could possibly want from your workplace. So I ended up emailing my boss from my hospital bed and being like, hey, girl, I won't make it into work this week or for the foreseeable future because I've been hospitalized. I don't know if it's like a law, like a national law or just a policy at my work. Like your boss can't ask any more questions when you tell them it's a medical thing. And see, this is why I feel bad because we didn't click, but she immediately jumped to trying to help me and seeing if there was anything she could do. Even if I needed someone to sit with me at the hospital, she said she would do that. 
So I feel like I was really lucky and I'm really grateful that I was working for that company at the time because there are other corporations I've worked for that would not have been so kind. I think there's a difference too between your workplace saying they care about your mental health and then your workplace actually caring and doing that. And I think I was in an environment where people say, oh, like we want you to take care of your mental health, but then it was kind of causing my mental health to be in the place it was because I wasn't being like supported. The reality of your 20s is that it's messy. All of my expectations as to what my life would be at this point have gone out the window. But it's my friendships with my peers like Raylan that keep me in check. And as uncomfortable, annoying, and helpless as I feel, there definitely are perks to being back home. So you are in Cincinnati now. How the fuck did you end up in Cincinnati? Yeah. So basically I was put in, not put, I brought myself there, but I went to a mental hospital for, it was a little over two weeks. And I have so many funny stories from that if you want to hear any of them. But basically when I got out, my nurse was like, okay, you can either have your mom move up with you to Boston or you can go back home and live with your family because I don't think it's like safe for you to be living alone right now. Mm-hmm. And at first I was just broken. Like, nope, I'm not upending my life. I'm not, I'm not moving again for one. And I was just kind of starting to get to know people. Like we had just met and I had just kind of started going out with a few other girls from the dinner club and so things were kind of looking up for me socially but I was also kind of ignoring the fact that I definitely did need to go home I needed to be with someone and have someone there and not be able to get bored because when I get bored I drink and we couldn't do that anymore so I was sober for six months and I moved home and Yeah, that's how I ended up in Cincinnati. Yeah. Because I was told to. (laughs) What is the best part about being home? The best part about being home? Oh, gosh, I want to say my dog, but I feel like I have to say my family. I'm going to say both. You can say your dog. Okay. Because I would probably say my cats. I would probably say my favorite part of being back in Cincinnati is being with my dog and being with my family and having people that I love around me physically. I don't know. It was different in college because I only lived like a four-hour drive away. So it was relatively feasible to do if I was ever feeling down or wanted to come home for a weekend. But with Boston, you can't go from Boston to Cincinnati without meticulous planning and plane tickets and... My mom actually came to get me, to bring me home to Cincinnati. She drove, which is a testament to how much she loves me. I mean, this episode is going to be about moving back home. I love it. Because we did that. I love it. We did that. We did. Normalize unmoving. That's what I'm calling it. I'm calling this unmoving because... I love it. Both of us, we literally packed our lives up. We went somewhere completely new, ended up becoming friends for the short time we were there, and then literally re-upending our lives and going back home. 
Yeah. And it was it didn't feel like moving to me when I it felt like moving when I moved to Boston because I had my own apartment, I had to find roommates. Yeah. I had my partner at the time. That felt like moving. Yeah. Taking all my shit back home did not feel like moving. It did. Unmoving is a really good word for it. I like it. You talked about having stories from your time at the mental hospital, and obviously I don't want you to say anything that would make you too uncomfortable, but if you have a funny story or two, I'd love to hear them. No, yeah. I will tell you about my time in the loony bin. So (laughs) I got there. Sorry, I shouldn't call it the loony bin. That's probably derogatory. (laughs) But, you know, I can say it. Been there, done that. I don't know. I did a lot of random things in there just to keep myself from going crazy. So it was like you had two hallways and then you had all of the rooms and then you had a common area and the common area was connected to all of the hallways. So I would spend hours just like making laps down the hallways into the common area, down the other hallway, into the common area, down the other hallway for like hours listening to podcasts because they let you have your headphones and your phones, which was amazing. What podcasts were you listening to? I was listening to a lot of Binchtopia at the time. Love them. I love, love them. They're so funny, so wise. I had an amazing nurse named Frank and he would accompany me on my walks down the hallways, through the corridor, down the hallway and repeat all the time. And we would just talk shit. He also got sober and I was sober at the time. So I don't know. It was kind of like a father daughter relationship for me in there, which was much needed. Some of my closest friends were felons. Hmm. Which was interesting because I I don't know why, because that was just who was in there. No, I think it is interesting. You know, you're a recent college graduate, somebody who's, you know, in the working world and they're navigating a completely different path from you. It felt surreal because I guess I just went back to my private Catholic school sheltered child mode of I know the people I know the people I don't know, I'll never know about, I guess. I just never thought I would be friends with people who had committed. Eh, I don't know. You can cut that bit out too. But no, it's it's true. It put you in a situation. I got put in a situation. Don't ever put me in a situation. No, never put me in a situation. Do not ever yeah. put me in a situation. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> funny. Absolutely. The lion meme. I got you. Girl. I know. I was going to say, we're such kindred spirits. Now that I'm home, things have kind of fallen into place in the best way possible. Like, you know how you have an idea of how perfect looks and then it comes along and it doesn't look anything like you expected it, but it's somehow better. That's kind of what I've been realizing. So I'm back home in Cincinnati. I'm dating someone, which I am very bad at in general, but this was one of my best friends since like our first day of college. And it's going literally so well. I think he's the cutest of patooties and I love my job I love my boss I am I was six months sober and now I'm drinking in moderation okay um so I capped myself at two drinks 
We love. Hey. We love a two drink Tina. And I was drinking to cope. I wasn't drinking to celebrate. I had a work event yesterday for the LGBTQ employees and they were having Chardonnay afterwards. Of course, I was going to get a glass of Chardonnay with my fellow LGBTQ cuties. I'm not going to pass up on the champagne at a wedding, you know, stuff like that. But I'm also not going to drink alone in the dark by myself anymore. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm so excited. Thank you. Season two about to be a movie. Season two about to be a movie. We're slaying. We're doing so well. We're uh, <laughs> we're doing so much better than we were doing. I don't know if I classify yes. myself as doing well, but I'm doing a lot better. And that's honestly all that matters. We'll take it. We will take it. I will happily take doing better than I was doing even like this time last month. Boston was rock bottom. Same. It was not the right place for us. And thank God we got the fuck out when we did. We got out. We did it. I'm adjusting to slowing my life's pace down and understanding that these familiar faces back home, my friends from elementary, middle, and high school, my parents, my grandmother, my therapist, and my cats are all the foundation of a support system that has showed up for me in ways I didn't think I deserved, but I needed. Taking a step backward feels like failure, but sometimes steps forward are steps forward into the literal pits of hell. I'm not proud of having to move back home, but I'm also not ashamed either. And that's just my life. Simple as that. Since season one, I have started a new job and gotten my life a little bit back together. But this journey of failure is still just beginning. And I'm so excited to start off this new season of failing down the rabbit hole. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and get ready. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Failing Down the Rabbit Hole. If you liked the episode, please rate, subscribe, and leave a review. Maybe even try listening to another episode if you really liked it. For any updates, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Failing Down the Rabbit Hole and on Twitter and TikTok at Failing Down Pod. Oh, and by the way, tell your local failure you love them. Peace out.